to New Life Church for um, those of you who are visiting for the first time. Thank you for joining us this um, special day and for all of our members. Glad that we could worship together the Lord with you this morning. If you would take your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 16. We have been going through the book of Acts, the title of our sermon series is the gospel in motion and this morning we come to uh, chapter 16 past halfway at the moment it's about 50 to 51 AD um, Paul and Silas are about to embark on their second missionary journey which actually started in Acts chapter 15 which we looked at last week and really goes right through to Acts chapter 18 but remember last week we saw in our text, Paul and Barnabas, they separate ways. And we see their sharp disagreement which they have. Um, and out of that came two missionary teams instead of one. Barnabas and Mark teamed up and Paul chose Silas. But today we're going to look more carefully at the working of the Holy Spirit through these early missionary endeavors. And the title of my message this morning is... The Acts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the whole book could be called that, but we know it's called the Acts of the Apostles. But I think the Holy Spirit really deserves more than more credit than we give due to him in these books. Um, we see the expansion of the early church, and the Holy Spirit is really responsible for all of that. We see him directing, we see him moving, and we see him empowering the apostles as they responded to his leading. If we want to see God working today in a similar fashion, we need to seek daily the Holy Spirit's guidance and be ready to submit to his leading. So please would you stand with me? Please would you stand with me as we read verse 1 to verse 10 this morning. Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Then from verse 6 to 10, we have the Macedonian call. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. 
concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to you. Father, we pray this morning for your help. We pray that the Spirit would teach us. We pray that the Spirit would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to what you are teaching us this morning. I pray for your help, Lord, as I explain this passage. We ask for your Spirit's help as he applies this passage to us as a church, but also to us as individuals as well. We pray that you will be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The title, well, my first point this morning we see in verse 1 to verse 3 is the, the Spirit's leading. Is the Spirit's leading. Um, the second point of my message this morning is the Spirit's enabling. And then my third point, I'm just checking, is the third point. The Spirit opens doors, thank you. <laughs> there we go. Um, today we are going to be looking at the working of the Holy Spirit. Today we are going to be looking at the working of the Spirit through these missionary and through the leaders of the church. But I think there's a lot that we can learn from as a church how we need to be submitting to the Spirit of God as He guides us and leads us as a church, but also as individuals. I was very tempted to stand here and start my message with the song that we sang this morning, The Spirit of God, The Fruit of the Spirit, but I will um, say that for you for the catechism classes. Please come early in the mornings on Saturdays as we do our catechism classes together. We sang this morning about the Spirit of God. But look at verse 1. We see that Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. Now, if you remember in our studies, this was a place where Paul was persecuted. And I think this was a radical, courageous thing for Paul to do. Lystra, remember he had been stoned there. He'd been dragged out of the city. He had been thrown onto a garbage dump, left to die. If I were Paul, I would not be inclined to go back to Lystra. But here, where he had suffered so terribly, and while he was still grieving over the falling out with Barnabas, God graciously brought into Paul's life another young man whose name was Timothy, and he would become like a faithful son to Paul. And verse 1, if you look there, tells us that Timothy was a disciple. Now, the word disciple in the Greek describes a person who intentionally learns from another by by instruction and by observation. Uh, Timothy was probably converted from Paul's previous missionary trip to um, Lystra. Remember, it's been five years since Paul had been there. And remember, the last time um, Paul was there, they first worshipped Paul as a god. They worshipped him as a god, and then they tried to kill him by stoning him. So really, we see Paul's courage here, but also his wisdom the face of these obstacles, but I think all of this, Paul's testimony built a great legacy in the life of Timothy. There must have been a huge impact on Timothy's life as he remembered Paul's ministry so many years ago. But we look at verse 1, it also tells us that Timothy was the son of a certain woman who was, um, who was Jewish. Now, we know from another passage 
that this woman's name is Eunice. We also know that his grandmother's name was Lois. We know both of them were believers, Christians. But the passage tells us that Timothy's father was a Greek. He was not a believer. He, um, he, was, he, he wasn't worshipping Jesus. So Timothy was half Greek, uh, uh, half Greek and, and half Jewish, half Gentile, half Jew. And in God's wisdom, in, the, in, the, in the, the leading of the Spirit here, we see this as a perfect choice for Paul's ministry. He has someone who was from the Roman Empire. So he's really, he's got an in with the, the Gentiles, but he also has a, the potential of having an in with the Jews. He's the perfect person for this position, for this job. Um, he could go anywhere as, as, um, as, he, as, as was needed. We see clearly the Sovereign Spirit leading Paul to the, the right worker in this instant. Now in the Jewish culture, children traditionally took the religion of their mother. But the fact that Timothy had not been circumcised as a baby also suggests that his father was not supportive of Eunice's Jewish faith. 2 Timothy verse one, chapter 1 and chapter 3 informs us that Timothy's mother and grandmother were committed to the Jewish scriptures. And they had taught these scriptures to Timothy from a very young age, from his childhood. And then look at verse 2. We are informed here that young Timothy had a commendable testimony among those who knew him. He was well taught, he was probably well behaved, and in keeping with Paul's letter concerning qualifications for elders, this was written by the well, this was written by Timothy, the same Timothy that we're talking about. And I think Timothy was already well on his way towards becoming a spiritual leader. But then we come to verse 3. And if you've been paying attention to the context that we've already seen in chapter 15, I think you will find verse, this verse very interesting, very maybe confusing. Remember that false teachers came to Antioch and they had caused a lot of upheaval by their insistence that the Gentile believers needed to be circumcised if they wanted to be Christians. Paul and Barnabas, remember, were sent to the church in Jerusalem to settle this dispute, to settle this disagreement. Um, even believers were confused about this issue. This issue. Um, the very gospel which Paul and Barnabas had preached on their first missionary trip was at stake. The very gospel was, was at stake. So this was a very important matter that needed to be settled. And after much discussion, the conclusion was reached that salvation has nothing to do with works or the race or the, the ethnicity to which you were born into. The gospel and salvation had to do with grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the Jerusalem Council concluded this and sent a letter that was sent to the Gentile churches affirming this, affirming their acceptance by grace alone and rejecting any suggestion that they had to be circumcised in order to become a Christian. But we remember the letter also exhorted the Gentile believers to be sensitive to the, the Jewish culture around him. 
and they asked them to restrain some of their liberties out of love. And despite that decree, that's the context, despite that context that we've just seen and, and, and spoken about, Paul here has Timothy, a grown man, circumcised before starting their missionary journey. After all that's been said and done in the previous chapter about no need for circumcision, why is Paul circumcising Timothy? Remember, Timothy was only half Jewish. Timothy's circumcision, I believe, would have allowed Timothy to accompany Paul and Silas to the synagogues where they often preached. I think his circumcision was so that he wouldn't cause unnecessary offense to unbelieving Jews. Remember in that letter already, it spoke about restraining your liberties out of love. And I think the fact that Timothy is getting circumcised here is really a picture of this liberty that he is restraining out of love. He didn't need to be circumcised at all. We know that clearly. But this was an act out of love so that he could become all things to all people. Paul did not want anything to hinder Jewish people from hearing and believing the gospel. Remember, this was a, a prickly situation. Very, very prickly. And it required a lot of wisdom for the sake of the expansion of the gospel. There are many examples of this which we see throughout history. And thank the Lord for the Spirit of God which provides this wisdom that is so necessary. When Hudson Taylor went to China as a missionary, he began to, to dress like the men to whom he was ministering to. He grew his hair long and, and had a ponytail at the back. And of course he was criticized by this. Other missionaries criticized him. But I think he was wise to realize that changing his way of thinking would help him to be more effective in reaching his audience with the gospel. And I think there's a, a timely application here for all of us. We all need wisdom how we can present the gospel to our friends who are not from the same race as us, who are not from the same culture as us. We all need the Holy Spirit to guide us and how we can be more effective in sharing the gospel. I don't mean changing the gospel. I mean being more effective in the way that we share the gospel. Most Christians today are so overwhelmed, I think, with the voices of, of culture and, and media that it's difficult for us to really just be quiet and hear the small voice of the Spirit. If we want to hear His voice, we need to be sensitive to His leading. We need to have a willing heart. If we want to be effective for the sake of the Gospel, we need to allow the Spirit of God to move us and to guide us. Sometimes we not only drown out the Spirit's voice through, through all of these external noises around us, but we lose the sensitivity to hear His voice when we, when we harden our hearts by disobeying His commands. We end up grieving the Spirit of God, or we end up quenching the Spirit of God as we hear about it in the Bible. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, and he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom 
you were sealed for the day of redemption. Only the Spirit of God can provide us the wisdom we need to share the gospel effectively. There's a lots of gurus out there offering us their words of wisdom. But only the Holy Spirit can give us the wisdom we need to grow and understand in the Word of God and to be an effective witness for our Savior. But secondly, we notice the Spirit working here in verse 4 and 5. And He is enabling the church. The Spirit of God is enabling the church. The missionary, this missionary team has traveled now throughout the region and they are delivering this, this letter that the Jerusalem Council had given to them. And as a result of this journey, as a result of this ministry, the churches are being strengthened. The churches are being enabled in their faith and we notice that they are increasing in numbers daily. Remember the Jerusalem decrees, as we saw, they affirmed two things. They affirmed, number one, that salvation is not by keeping the law of Moses. Salvation is rather by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel again. Again, to the believers that had already received the gospel. He was reminding them of the gospel in which they stand, present tense. And they were being encouraged. But secondly, notice, this letter asked the Gentile believers, out of consideration for the Jews, not to engage in four things. Can you remember what they were? They weren't to engage in eating things that were sacrificed to idols. They weren't um, allowed to eat meat with the blood or meat that had been strangled. And then, of course, fornication, which was commonly accepted in the pagan cultures of that day. So those four things they were asked not to engage with. And this church, of course, the churches that they delivered this letter to, they heard these admonitions from the Jerusalem Council. And these churches were strengthened. They were strengthened and enabled. They heard the gospel affirmed. And then they were strengthened to walk in love. Not to use their liberties as an excuse to sin, but to use their liberties to proclaim the gospel. They were willingly submitting to this letter from the Jerusalem Council. And I think the aim behind this letter was to show love and to avoid offending the Jews so that the lost Jews could be saved, the lost, the lost, Jews, the lost Jews could come to Christ. And that there wouldn't be a division in their church between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at verse 5 there. Verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. What a wonderful statement that is. And of course, it's, I think one that we should be praying for, and one that we should be expecting as believers as well. Not only was the church growing in its, in its depth, but she was also growing in her, in her breadth. She was growing spiritually and she was growing numerically. And that should be the desire of, of every church. You know, John MacArthur, he makes the point that the goal of evangelism 
is not to rack up huge numbers of converts, yet it is true that strong churches established in the faith will increase in numbers. I hope you see the relationship here. I hope you see this relationship. The church is equipped, the church is strengthened, and with this knowledge of the glory of God, they share their faith, they evangelize, and she effectively is able to speak the gospel. And as a result, what happens? The church begins to increase in numbers. The church increases. And that word is used here deliberately. The word church in the Greek is ecclesia. Remember, a church is made up of believers. This is the gathering of believers. So the church is increasing. Believers are increasing because the church is growing in her understanding of the scriptures. She is being equipped. The church is being strengthened. And she is using what she has been taught to share with others. To witness. To be a testimony. To evangelize. Believers who love the Lord, who have repented of their sins and have submitted to His leading in their lives, want to tell others about their glorious Savior. Believers who want to become more like Christ in their, in their conduct and behavior and joyfully feed on the meat of, of God's Word. I remember in 2018, I had the privilege of baptizing Sandra. And at that point, Sandra, she was not a very fruitful evangelist. She was very shy and a little bit timid when it came to sharing the gospel. But Sandra has been working with a state agency and every person that she meets and every person that is looking for a house, she tells them about New Life Church. And we've had many people come to New Life Church because of her, her witness, because of her, her testimony. And it's been wonderful to see how she has grown in the Lord, grown in her boldness, but grown in her ability to, to share the gospel as well. As the church is fed and as the church is strengthened, the church becomes healthy, the church should become fruitful. You know, think of a child, think of a baby. Can a young child reproduce? No, of course. Of course that's impossible. Only once the child has matured and gone through puberty can that happen. And the church is not, a, not an organization. The church is a, an organism. And the church needs to mature in her faith. Remember, the church is composed of individual members, individual believers. And they are joined together. And they work under the headship of Jesus Christ. And I think this picture is another reason believers should not forsake the assembling of God together. If I can just make a, a point of application with that this morning. Now I think gathering together as a body helps us to become more established in our faith. Gathering together helps us grow in our faith and to become more like Christ. And as we learn from each other, as we, as we share our struggles with each other, we encourage each other with what we've been taught, with what we know about Jesus, what is true about Jesus. We remind each other of these things in difficult times. And if we neglect the gathering of believers, and we place it as a, a secondary event in our lives, we really miss out on this vital body dynamic which the Scriptures Tell us about. 
We've seen that the Spirit leads, the Spirit gives wisdom, and here in verse 4 and verse 5, the Spirit of God is enabling, the Spirit of God is strengthening, the Spirit of God is growing the church. But now we come to verse 6 and 10, and again we see the Spirit working in a wonderful way. He is opening doors, but also closing doors. I wanted to make that point as well. Look at verse 6 there. Turn to verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. What is going on there? Notice there, the Spirit of God is forbidding them to speak the word. And then verse 7. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Twice. Notice there. The Spirit of God is closing doors. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Finally, a door has been opened. Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel there. When I first read this, I thought it very confusing. The Spirit of God, the, the very Spirit that has commissioned them with this great commission to share the gospel to all peoples in all places, is now telling them no. <laughs> He's now telling them not to go there, not to go there. I would think that these missionaries were probably very confused and I'm sure very frustrated at this point as well. And I must confess that sometimes I am confused by the Lord about what He's doing. After all, His desire is that He be glorified in all the nations through the spreading of the gospel. And, and yet at the same time, He does not always seem to answer our prayers according to our timeline. I think of COVID. COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21. <laughs> Lord, what are you doing? Why are, are you allowing this to happen? How is this hindering the, the spread of the gospel? At times when we couldn't meet, I was not able to understand what the Lord was doing. I was very confused, terribly frustrated. But we see here God's providence God's timing perfectly displayed through the Spirit's leading. We also see it through history. I remember I read this week about William Carey. He initially wanted to go to Polynesia in the South Seas, but God sent him instead to India. The same with Adoniram Jackson. He wanted to go to Burma, but instead had to start his ministry in India. David Livingston, he wanted to go to China, but God sent him to Africa. And all we can say is that, though we might be confused, God is not. Though we might be confused, God is not. And we don't need to be concerned, because God is in control and we are not. We can trust His character. 
God has His ways and He has His timing. We need to submit to His sovereignty even when we don't understand and even when we are confused. God sometimes leads us to the right opportunities by obstructing us from the wrong opportunities. Sometimes God wants us by faith to, to keep knocking until those doors are, are closed or they are opened. And at other times He closes those doors as, as a way of telling us no. And all I, can say, all I can say is we need His wisdom. We need to know, we need to know, we need discernment. We need to know the difference. And I don't have the formulas for you. I wish I could have given you a formula this morning to tell you A plus A equals A, a squared. <laughs> Got that wrong. <laughs> I don't have a formula when it comes to working with the Spirit and how He leads us, but we need to be sensitive. We need to be sensitive. God had other plans for these men. God had other plans for their mission. And after being forbidden by the Spirit of God to preach the Gospel in Asia, Verse 9 tells us that they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of God wouldn't allow them to go there either. And then in verse 9 it tells us that during the night, Paul saw a man in a vision, a man of Macedonia, standing there, urging them and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. If you want to know how to live by faith, we need to trust His character. And we need to believe in His promises. Paul and his team didn't give up and say, Oh well, that door has closed. Let's go back home. Or there's nowhere to go. Let's just, let's just go and eat some worms. They knew it was God's will for them to preach the gospel. They knew it. They didn't know where. They didn't know when. But they trusted what God had told them. And they kept pushing. They kept praying. Until God opened the door so wide. That there was no doubt. Notice verse 10. There's no hesitation after the doubt. Look at verse 10. Paul did not hesitate. It says, and when Paul had seen the vision, what did he do? Immediately, it says. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. A great way to know where God wants you to be is just to stop moving. Is to trust Him and to stop moving. Rather than just standing still, doing nothing. Start moving and trusting that the Lord will guide you. I think our passage this morning highlights an important concept of, of divine guidance. You know, God can only move a ship. God can only guide a ship that is moving. You think of the rudder on the boat. A rudder doesn't work unless the, the ship is moving. Think of how small that, that rudder is on, on a ship at the back. Without that small rudder, the ship would be useless, wouldn't it? That ship would crash every time. If we want to be steered in the, in the right direction, we need the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us from crashing into all the icebergs that this life has to offer. I read a story this week about a 21-year-old corporal his name was William Devers, who lived through World War II. And William was a Marine fighting the Japanese. And he considered himself to be an agnostic 
And no amount of arguing or, or Bible quoting by the chaplain or other Christian Marines could persuade him to put his faith in Jesus. But during the company's first major encounter with the Japanese, a number of the men were killed and the chaplain was wounded. But in great pain, the chaplain called to William and said, My left pocket, take it, please. Last night I had a dream, and in the dream an angel appeared and told me that I had to, ma that I had to make you take my Bible. Please, take it, son. And the chaplain gave him his Bible, and William shoved the Bible into his shirt pocket just to satisfy the wounded chaplain. But 20 minutes later, his squad stumbled right into a Japanese patrol. Before he knew what happened, William was on the ground and his mind faded into darkness, certain he was dying. But then William came to. He felt pain shoot through his chest, but there was no blood. The bullet had torn into the Bible that he had just put in his pocket. And it stopped at Psalm 91 verse 7. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. God surely guided that chaplain to give his Bible to William, and his life was saved. But best of all, William's soul was saved after he searched those scriptures with that bullet in it. He put his trust and his faith in Jesus. God uses those who live by faith. God uses those who depend on the Spirit of God. And the question I have for you this morning, are you seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness in your own life? Are you living by faith? Are you living by dependence on the Spirit of God? Or are you depending on the flesh? Do people see this, the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Or do people see the fruit of the, the flesh in your life? By faith, we must believe what God tells us about Himself. Even when we don't understand. Even when we don't see it. And especially when we don't feel it. Our faith in the sovereign Spirit of God must be what directs us and leads us when life is going smoothly, without any winds and without any storms, but especially, especially when there are winds and storms. But as we conclude this study, let us with confidence learn that the Great Commission continues to be great. That God is still saving sinners, even in our day and age, even with all the obstacles that we are facing, even with COVID. And at the same spirit that was leading and guiding Paul and his team to plant churches is the same spirit today building his church among the nations. Let us pray. Father, we God, we thank you for this encouraging truth this morning. That your spirit is amongst us. And we are not alone. And he comforts us. And He convicts us of sin. And He points us to Jesus. And we pray that He would do that more and more in our lives. Lord, that we would yield more and more to the Spirit. 
that we would be controlled by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I pray that you forgive us, Lord, that we have failed. We all have. That we have trusted ourselves. We have trusted our own abilities rather than trusting the Spirit. Forgive us when we have not obeyed the Spirit. Where He has convicted us of sin. Where we have felt that it was wrong to do such an action. And instead, we continue to entertain our flesh. Forgive us, Lord. But we pray, Lord, please, this morning. Help us to be more sensitive to the, the leading of the Spirit in our lives. Help us to be more sensitive to the Spirit of God leading us as a church. That we would be faithful. And that we would be pleasing to you. We ask in Jesus' name.